This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Software programs in engineering can make a huge difference in your engineering projects. But what if that software is outdated or not the right solution for your firm? In this episode, I'll be talking with Lewis Aaron, a senior at Princeton University, who's working on a software program to help geotechnical engineers record soil data in the field. Before commencing his studies, he worked on a tunneling system in Las Vegas and discovered some inefficiencies in the process and outdated software. He then decided to start his own company with the goal of resolving these problems, both for engineers and other public agencies. And in this episode, I'll be talking to him about the software and why he thinks this software will be the future of geotechnical engineering. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I'm excited to be bringing you another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Now let's dive into today's episode. Right, welcome to the show, Lewis. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks so much, Jared. Doing great. Calling in from uh, Princeton, New Jersey here and uh, excited to be on. Well, it would be great if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and then, you know, talk about your interest in the geotechnical field. How did that start and where are you? I'm currently a senior at Princeton uh, and I study operations research, which obviously is not geotechnical engineering or civil engineering or really anything with respect to the ground. But the way that it is related um, and the way that I got involved is, is through the data. During COVID, I, I took a year off from school and I worked for a tunneling company based out of, at the time, it was mostly in Las Vegas. Now they're mostly in, in uh, Austin. In my nine months there, one of the things that I was working on was um, helping with our geotechnical soil boring logs. So the company had me download GINT, which I imagine many of you are familiar with GINT. But for those who aren't, it's, it's short for Geotechnical Integrator software built in the 1980s and somehow still used quite widely today. And so, you know, basically through that experience of using GINT and seeing how geotechnical data is, is stored, I kind of realized that there were, from an operations research and a computer science perspective, I identified a ton of issues, which many of you, I'm sure, again, are, are very familiar with uh, in terms of how geotechnical data is, is managed and stored. And so I'll just list through a couple of them real quick and then going a little beyond the scope of the question here. But uh, the things that you come across are, first of all, the software oftentimes is only storing data in PDF form. So, you know, you, you enter a bunch of data, 
you export it to PDF and then you send that off. And, and then basically the data is lost. It's unreadable. Another really big problem, which at the time of creation of Gint was considered an advantage, but is now considered a disadvantage, is how customizable a lot of the softwares that are out there are today, especially Gint. So you can basically store your data in whatever set of data tables you want to. And then you can take those data tables and map them to some PDF log, which sounds really great. But then, you know, three years down the line, when you have 15 companies using 15 data structures, your Department of Transportation is going to have a really hard time performing any sort of meaningful data analysis. So that's the second problem. And then kind of a third problem that I came across also is that there are so many opportunities for human error in the process of logging borings. And so I guess a workflow that a lot of you are probably familiar with is that you take a sample in the field, you send that sample off to a lab, lab performs tests, they enter it by hand, they enter this data by hand into an Excel sheet, that Excel sheet pops out data, you know, then they send that data to you, maybe in Excel format, maybe in PDF format. And then somebody enters that into the geotechnical firm's, you know, custom Excel sheet, because every firm has their own, you know, custom way of doing things. Then you export that and you import that into Gint, and then you can create your boring logs. And there are just so many points of, of data reentry and so many points for error. And so kind of between these three issues, you know, unreadable file types, varying data structures and, and real potential issues for quality, you know, there's got to be a better way to do these things. These are pretty serious problems. And so that's kind of how I got ended up digging into geotechnical data, really learning a lot about how soil borings are done, what the workflow is, how the data is stored. That's how I've gotten here today. Perhaps a little bit of frustration, coupled with a little bit of, wait, this is how it's done, <laughs> gets you to here. Exactly. And, you know, you have a pretty strong academic focus on data analysis. What is it about the geotechnical industry that caught your attention? I mean, you kind of hinted at some of this, but what is it about the geotech field where you see this opportunity? There's a lot of fields that have data. Why geotech? This is one of my favorite questions because I get it a lot from my classmates too, who are like, what on earth are you talking about? I I've never seen soil boring before. I don't even know what a soil boring is. What are you on about? And I actually think that that's kind of like one of the key reasons I'm actually interested in it is that none of my classmates have ever heard of this. And that's, I think, one of the core reasons there's been kind of a lack of innovation here since really 1986 when Gint was released. The best Google software engineers have never heard of a soil boring. But on the other hand, you have so many fantastic geotechnical engineers who are like dying to have a solution for this problem. And they've either tried to code something up in Excel, they've tried to make an Excel VBA, or who knows what kind of coding they tried to learn. And, you know, they get 80% of the way there if they really work at it for a long time. But that last 20% is really hard when, you know, your full-time job is a geotechnical engineer, that's your specialty, and you really don't have time to fully dedicate yourself to this. So I think because of that, you know, you have geotechnical engineers who don't quite have the software abilities and you have software engineers who've never in their lives heard of a soil boring. I was really excited by the prospect that like, hey, maybe I can finally bring these two worlds together. There are a handful of software engineers in the geotech space who are working on this problem, but there hasn't been the cloud-based approach that you'd expect from your typical like startup that comes out of a group of my classmates. And so that's kind of what's been exciting about digging into this problem for me. So it sounds like you saw an opportunity here. Yeah, absolutely. The opportunity really, from my perspective, is quite simple. The solution is, is quite simple. Realistically speaking, almost every single geotechnical firm is already entering data into computer software, right? And so, you know, when people talk about, oh, we need to digitize and move things to the cloud and, you know, it's going to be this three-year process and we're going to do this and this, it's like, that's kind of crazy to me. It's like, you're already entering it digitally. It's just, you're entering it on the wrong platform. 
And so the other part of this problem that I found exciting was that there's actually a very simple solution. The solution is just getting labs, geotech firms, and DOTs on, on the same platform and using the same data structure. And those two things go hand in hand. I guess this wasn't exactly your question, but to jump into a, an explanation of, of, of what I think the solution is here, you basically build a web-based platform where people can enter geotechnical data or upload it if they prefer to enter it on Excel or something first. And that data then gets stored in the same data structure for every firm. Some of you might be familiar with DIGS, which is a, an effort to standardize the schema. So very similar concept. And then the same platform is used for geotechnical labs to enter data. So they enter data once and then they associate it with a project at a geotechnical firm. There's no re-entry, like calculations are performed automatically. They're pretty much every lab test is, is according to ASTM or AASHTO or whatever it is. So that's not where a geotechnical engineer is specializing. A geotechnical engineer specializes in, in then analyzing that data. So the idea that you can put all these things on a single cloud-based platform is actually quite simple. It's really a huge enabler for geotech firms so that they can spend less time on data entry, on quality checks, which you can make quality checks automatic when you're on a cloud-based platform. All these things that geotechnical firms have to spend so much time on today, they can spend less time on that and more time on awesome analysis. That's kind of an, an intro of another reason I'm excited about this. I guess while you're working on your degree, while you're finishing your degree, you started building this product. Where are you now with that? Yeah, exactly. So I started this actually just last May. So not all that long ago. I had an internship over the summer, but um, I would spend like 9.30 p.m. to 3 or 4 a.m. working on this. And a group of my classmates and I basically worked on the minimum viable product for the software so that we would get something in front of geotechnical engineers who could give us feedback. So we finished that in, in August, got a ton of feedback from some really awesome people in the industry, both at the geotechnical firms and also at municipalities and, and DOTs. And uh, we took that feedback and we were so encouraged by how positive the feedback was, despite how bad the product was. <laughs> you know, at the, at the time, I was still learning about geotechnical engineering. I, I didn't know that you had four blow counts, you know, three or four blow counts. So we just had like one spot for blow counts. And like, that's an example of, you know, just like how much we still had to learn. And yet people were so excited about the idea that they were willing to give us feedback and also were like encouraging us to continue to build out the product. So I took that as, as good encouragement. We brought on a couple more people. We've spent since September totally rebuilding it. And so, you know, there are two parts to it now. There's the desktop web app. So this is just like a website that you access from your computer. You can enter boring data, you can upload GIN files, and you can generate custom log PDFs. But the key is that all the data is stored digitally. Um, so that part is going to be released in about two weeks. And we actually have a paying user for that now, which we're super excited about. And uh, we're starting a pilot with the state DOT this week, setting up a few more trials. The part that is still very much under development is kind of the tablet app. And you've heard a ton about tablets for logging field borings over the past few years. And I think it's a controversial subject. There are people out there who are like insistent that they're going to use paper forever. And I think that's awesome. And I don't think tablet is like critical from a data management perspective. But for people who do want to do that and they feel like it saves them time, we're working on kind of the, the feedback that we got from the industry was that it needs to be something where you type as little as possible. So you need to be able to tap as many buttons that kind of like, you know, if, if you uh, see somebody checking you out at a cafe, you know, they're not typing coffee with oat milk, right? They're, they're hitting coffee and then they're hitting the oat milk button. And so we're trying to design something that is as much adheres to that principle as possible so that, you know, when you're out in the field and there's dirt or there's snow or whatever it is, you're not stuck typing and wishing you had your piece of paper. That part, we would still love to get feedback on. So our scheduled, our timeline is basically we're going to release our 
minimum viable product probably in mid-December. And would love to chat with anyone who has thoughts on that. And then we'll iterate on it and probably release the app around February 1st. So feel free to contact me if that's uh, something you're excited about. Why do you think that this class of software is the future of geotechnical engineering? And what do you think it means for engineers' careers? It's not just my opinion. There's an AASHTO provision out there. If you'd like to adhere to AASHTO, um, DOTs will be receiving geotechnical data digitally at some point. Right now, it's just provisional, um, but you know it's going through that three-year cycle. So it's happening at the AASHTO level. It's happening at the DOT level. There, I believe um, Louisiana DOT already requires a certain digital submission format, which I think is actually DIGS, which I mentioned earlier. Um, Ohio DOT is doing something similar. You know, you're getting digital adoption at the DOT level as well. Also, USAC, the Army Corps of Engineers, I think has been doing this for a long time. So the transition to digital geotechnical data is going to happen probably in the next three or so years. And it's not a crazy thing. It's just the geotech industry is catching up to the rest of the world. And it's going to be really awesome for people who are proactive. So the engineers, you know, if you kind of put this off and you continue to use legacy software, that's fine. But but basically every day that goes by, you're losing data because you're, you're storing data in a format that can't be read later. On the other hand, pe- the engineers who are proactive, they're going to generate extremely valuable databases so that borings can be mapped instantaneously. They can be really easily searchable. You can hook into other third-party services who are going to take your digital data and do really cool visualizations or really cool analysis for you. It really unlocks a whole world for geotechnical engineers. And so if you do it today, then in three years from now, when the other geotech firms who are are a little bit more resistant finally start adopting it, you're already going to have three years of data that you can use to inform your future projects. I foresee a huge value add to the proactive firms, the proactive DOTs, proactive municipalities. It's the ones that wait or the ones, you know, in my opinion, even worse, the ones who hire consultants to stitch together like old legacy software from like three different things that, you know, haven't been updated in a bunch of years. Like those are the people who are really going to have to pay down the line because, you know, the more complicated your system is, the less maintainable it is. And then four years later, everything's broken and you have to make a decision. Do we rehire the same guy who's the only person who knows how this works to fix it and, you know, pay a ton of money? Or do we just throw this whole thing down the drain, start over? What I think it means for engineers is that it's going to be really important to be proactive right now, but also to make sure that you're choosing a solution that's maintainable and and that's simple. And then even further down the road, three to five years down the road, there's a realistic future involving AI-generated cross-sections, right? So DOTs are going to start to build up incredible databases. And it's really not unrealistic that in three to five years, you can click a button, uh, you know, drag over a certain region, click a button and generate a cross-section instantaneously. So... That's why I think that th- this is really going to be the future. And then the question is just like, are you going to approach it in a way that's going to help you down the line? Now or later, right? Exactly. How could people get more involved if they wanted to get involved with what you're doing? If you email me, I absolutely will respond um, and <laughs> would love to chat with anyone, whether it's because you're just like interested in the topic, whether it's because, you know, I'm only 23 years old. So I understand that me offering advice Sounds a little funny, but if you want my uh, my thoughts on the best approaches to digitization and to structuring your data for, for the next five years, I will be super happy to talk about that. Or also, if you want to give feedback or input on either our desktop app or our mobile app, those are obviously super helpful for me as well. On the mobile app side, like I said, we're trying to make it essentially zero typing. That's our goal. And so we're looking for people to kind of test out what we have, offer feedback. We love to bring people into the design process. But yeah, again, so we're like 
a couple weeks out from the desktop app. I guess the last part there is, of course, I have to pitch if you want to digitize in like an hour and start logging your borings on a web platform, like it will exist in two weeks and that'll be an option. So of course, reach out to me uh, if you're interested in that too. What is your email address? I'll make sure we get that in the show notes. My email address is uh, lewis at boredomlogs.com. So that's L-O-U-I-S at B-O-R-E-D-M-L-O-G-S.com. All right, great. Well, before we take our break, what uh, was the final piece of advice you want to give to listeners out there, geotechnical engineering listeners out there? The key piece of advice here is like not to be afraid of digitization because, you know, in reality, I think I mentioned this before, but we already enter most geotechnical data digitally. We already do that. The real problem is just the way we're entering it on an antiquated platform. So if somebody from a large software firm comes to you and says, you know, they have the solution for you, but it's really complicated. It's going to take a couple of years. And, you know, we're going to set up all these training sessions with your team. And they start to use words like powerful cloud-based brain, you know, (laughs) these kinds of things that don't make a ton of sense, but you're like, okay, like, I guess that's what we have to do. Like, I promise you, these people are, are trying to scare you into overpaying for bad software. You know, you really just don't want to go down that road. In reality, transitioning to cloud-based platforms is really simple. And it's not like something that a geotechnical engineer should be scared of, even if you have no knowledge of computer science. This process should like literally take an hour. Really the exciting part where like, you know, if someone wants to talk to you about training or taking a bunch of time to dive into this, it's not the digitization part. Uh, The really exciting part is after you've built a digitized database. So this is, you know, at least like four to six months in. And then you can start to perform really cool analyses very easily. There are some really cool companies out there that I've spoken with. Um, recently chatted with Bob Backus from, I think, Geosyntec out in Atlanta. And his team is creating some really cool tools uh, to visualize and analyze geotechnical data. But you can only do that once your data is on a digital platform. So the step one, which is kind of what I'm harping on here, is digitizing. And that part should be really simple. And, and anyone who tells you that it's complicated is trying to make you do something that you really don't need to do. The more exciting part and complex part is actually down the road when you link in your data to to really cool analysis tools. So yeah, I guess my advice for geotechnical engineers is to not procrastinate digitization, especially do not procrastinate on the grounds that it's complicated because it's not. Every day that passes where you're on legacy software is like a day where you're losing data. And so I would just like run head on toward digitizing as soon as you can, whether you're a geotechnical firm, you're a DOT, even if you're a third-party lab. I would love to chat with third-party labs as well. You know, just be the first ones to take advantage of this and you're really going to unlock some some awesome tools. If you want an honest opinion about how to go about doing that, like simply, sustainably, uh, feel free to shoot me an email and we'll set up a time to chat. It really is important that at this stage, like you make sure you're not getting caught up in something with a bunch of legacy tools that are, you know, being stitched together. You know, you'll hear like, we're going to set up the local server and then there's going to be the cloud and the brain and there's like, you know, all these pieces like, I just beg you to watch out for yourselves in that sense and make sure you're implementing a solution that's going to be maintainable down the line and, and super simple. Um, so again, happy to chat with anyone about that. Whether or not you end up using the solution I'm working on is kind of beside the point. I benefit from the industry being proactive and, and digitizing. So happy to chat with anyone. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. So we're going to come back in just a minute and close this one out with Lewis in our career factor safety in segment. Stick around. All right, welcome back. It's time for our career factor safety end segment. 
In geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your career? Today, of course, we're speaking with Luis Aaron. Luis, you know, you can think back to your internship or perhaps even your studies, but what's something that you've implemented to give yourself a factor of safety in your career development? There are two parts of this. First is back when I was working at the Boring Company, something that I was encouraged to do by one of my coworkers, which was one of the greatest pieces of advice I got was, for example, you know, we had some active construction sites. He was like, just walk around the site and ask people what they're doing. Ask, what is this thing? How does it work? Why is that here? How did it get here? Like, who ordered this piece of equipment? Any sort of question like that, that ended up being really, really important to be down the line because not only do you learn a ton for yourself and, and you can inform kind of future decision-making with that knowledge, but also then when you start to have more conversations with people, you know, kind of starts, you can kind of pretend like you know what you're talking about. And uh, that kind of opens up kind of the next phase of learning. So instead of people being like, oh, this is just this piece of equipment. And, you know, there's the answer to your question. You can say, oh, you know, I noticed we have this piece of equipment here. I thought this was used for X, but it seems like you guys are actually using it for Y. And that's when you can kind of get those more useful insights. And you can start to identify things that might be useful for either a product you're developing or if you're going to be performing a similar process later, then you have that background. That's the first thing. And these are kinds of pieces of advice for people, I think, who are in my shoes, who are you know still very early in career. So what worked for me is as somebody who had no idea what he was doing. The other thing is, is like very much related, but now that I'm back in school, it's just a matter of like being willing to pick up the phone and chat with people. Some of the most critical elements of software that we're working on have come out of cold calls to people. And oftentimes, you know, if you've got a good idea and you've, you've got something that resonates with people, they'll pick up and they'll be skeptical for 15 seconds. And maybe they'll, you know, maybe they'll say, I don't have time for this. Goodbye. I get that a decent bit. But, you know, sometimes people will actually listen for a few seconds and say, oh my God, this is something that we really need. I had someone last Friday tell me he's been waiting 30 years for this, which was encouraging, you know, and then they'll take an hour and just give you all their thoughts and and their ideas. And, you know, they'll be just totally generous with their time. So the things that have that have been really helpful for me as someone in an early career stage is uh, not being afraid to just walk around, pick things up, ask people what's going on. And in that same vein, being comfortable picking up the phone and just Googling. Like last week, I Googled geotechnical engineers in Arizona. I'm going to be home in Arizona next week. And I called five of them and I'll get to meet up with two of them next week. So those have been two really helpful approaches for me. It's very helpful. You know, this is an industry that prides itself in being collaborative. And as you start to talk to more people, you'll see that people really do want to help one another. So that's uh, really good for our listeners to hear that. Well, Lewis, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all the great insights with us. Share some really great information and advice I know is going to be helpful for our listeners. You already shared your email, so we'll make sure that we get that in the show notes. And I just want to thank you for coming on and all the best with what you're doing. Thank you so much, Jared. Uh, hope to talk to some of you soon. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Excited to get the software out there and see where the industry goes with digitization in the next few years. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode 64, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all of your geotechnical engineer endeavors. Peace. 
Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.